Welcome to the Evoke Inspire podcast with me, Sarah Jane Tobin, proudly sponsored by hermoney.ie. Hermoney is your trusted partner in financial empowerment, catering specifically to professional and self-employed women. Join us as we dive into inspiring stories of entrepreneurship, personal growth, and the world of finance. Hermoney.ie's mission is to provide women with the knowledge, tools, and confidence This week, I'm joined by Sarah Cosgrove, interior design and architecture expert you'll no doubt be familiar with from Home of the Year. Sarah started out in a famed carpet showroom in Connemara before heading to the bright lights of London, where she transitioned and pushed herself to work with highly respected designers like Candy and Candy and John Rosha, as well as working for five years as the chief designer with Harrods. These days, though, Sarah is based back in Ireland, heading up the hugely successful Sarah Cosgrove Studio and Grove & Co. It's been quite a journey. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Inspire today. It's a real pleasure to actually meet you in the flesh because I watch Home of the Year all the time and I I feel like I know you personally (laughs) at this point, (laughs) but I don't. Um, So to that effect, I'd like to start at the very beginning, I suppose. I mean, I love what you do. Interior design, it's so... it's. To me, it's just glam. It's gorgeous. Is it something you were always interested in as a kid? I was always interested in interior design as a kid. And actually, my mom always jokes that when she was pregnant with me, she was doing up a house and she was reading lots of interior design magazines <laughs> at the time. And she actually thinks it got totally it like absorbed. in from the beginning. Um, but I initially actually thought I was going to do fashion. Mm. But my parents were very much, you know, get a solid degree. And, you know, if you still want to go into the creative world afterwards, no problem. But I, of course, was totally impatient. And I ended up doing a degree and a diploma at the same time. So I did my basic oh. arts degree and then at night time I was studying um, in the Grafton Academy and I through that I got into uh, an internship with John Rosha and while I was working for him it was actually that summer that I realised fashion as creative and amazing as it was was quite transient so you'd work on a collection we actually did London Fashion Week it went up and down the catwalk and 10 minutes later it's gone it's next season and I just knew from my personality that I needed something a bit more with longevity yeah And actually his company at that time was doing interiors. They just finished the original Morrison Hotel, which was very groundbreaking. And he had two really amazing architects working for him. And I realized that summer, anytime the architects wanted me to do something, I was really gravitating towards that. Um, So within the jigs and the reels, that sort of got me into interiors. But it was still a very... It was still really at the beginning of the industry in terms of being a proper profession. And in Ireland, there weren't many. There was actually, I don't even know if there was a course in interior design in Ireland back back in the day. (laughs) And um, so I went to London and I studied in London and I worked in London for 13 years. And really, that was it. Wow. I mean, Mm. you know, I I suppose there is it it is married with the fashion industry in lots of respects. But I mean, for you to make the leap and actually kind of see yourself like without a course or anything like that, any direction here in Ireland, how did you make that transition? How did you go, Okay, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to actually see can I make this work? Like, did you plan on staying there? Was it something that you kind of thought would eventually come to Ireland? Well, I actually um, ended up doing another summer job in Connemara working for a carpet company. Oh. They've now recently been rebranded as I think it's um, Connemara Carpets, yeah. um, but it was McMurray Carpets at the time. And for literally 
a company that was in the middle of nowhere. They were working on these projects all over the world. So they were doing Bruce Willis's house in Pirate Cay. They were doing a townhouse in New York wow. for Julia Roberts. They were just doing yeah. Orson Utheron. They did um, the doll there. They did the carpets and the doll. So they did all these huge commissions. But like, I mean, you know, 20 minutes into Clifton, you know, really in the wow. middle of nowhere. And um, I decided I was going to do architecture after working with the, the, the John Rasha team and working in this carpet company. I started talking to all these designers in London because yeah. that's who was specifying the, the, the product. And one guy came on to me and he said, you've already done like a four year degree. You've done a diploma in fashion. He said another five years in architecture. He said, Sarah, no, the real place that's getting exciting is interior design. Yeah. And he was a guy called it was, his name was Martin Wallace Hadrill in United Designers. And I said, well, where do I go? And he goes, well, you have to study in London. And these are the three places. Mm-hmm. So my mum, I turned around to my mum and I said, oh, my God, will you come with me to London? <laughs> and we went to London and um yeah, I found my place. I studied. I did a kind of a master's in interior design and arch- interior architecture. And then I started working in London and I was there for 13 years. Yeah. Wow. And when you say you went over with your mum, I mean, mm. what age were you? Was, it, was this the first time you moved out of home or? No, because I went to boarding school. OK, so I really had moved out of home by 12. Yeah. So, no, I was. Oh, my goodness. I was, you know, yeah. marching <laughs> to the beat of my own drum from a very young age. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't have been. No, I'd lived in Italy. I'd lived in France. Like I was very. I, traveled extensively through South America by that point like I was very independent very young yeah. and um never afraid of just getting out there and trying something new you know so um so going to London but it was more you know I really respect my parents have worked very hard and they're you know they're serious people and they have huge work ethic and I absolutely inherited that like nearly to a point where I worked too much I'm addicted to work probably <laughs> um but I really felt that because it was such an out there thing and I think they weren't 100% sure that I was choosing you know interior yeah. design is that a job like can you actually you know is that a profession yeah and certainly in the early you know 2004 you know um it really wasn't so I was they were you know they were sort of you know trusting my judgment on this mm. you know and I'm, I'm really glad they did it's kind of funny because I remember when I was growing up um I, I used to dance I thought I was a phenomenal dancer <laughs> I like I thought you know I, I sure had it were. all I had it all going on <laughs> and I I got a place in dance college and like your yeah. parents my mom was like now do you know what <laughs> Maybe get a proper job first. And <laughs> yeah. if you if when you go to college, if you get your degree at 21 when you're finished, if you're still into dance, maybe try it then. And of course, 21 came around and I was more interested in having money in my bank account yeah. <laughs> and you a good on. time at the weekend. I had moved on. Yeah. Um but I mean, how did your parents, you know, I like obviously as you said, they they had great work ethic and stuff like that. How did you win them around? I think they saw I don't think they really had much choice. I think, you know, I was, I had done the basic degree. They had seen where I was going. And I I think they also trusted that if, you know, within a year or two of 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 getting into the industry, if it wasn't working, I would have changed tack. I would okay. have gone, I would have done an MBA. I would have done a, you know, I would have gone back because I was always very interested in business. And I actually did like lots of summer jobs working in an accountancy practice. So they also knew that I had a sort of a commercial bent as well as a creative one, mm. which is quite unusual because yeah. most people sort of lean in one direction where I've, I've always I've always really enjoyed uh, the creative element but through various career moves that I've made there's always been um, a commercial aspect to what I do yeah. yeah um when you were in London you worked for some of 
like some very reputable places. Yes. I mean, I was looking at the list and I was like, Harrods. I mean, tell us a little bit about working for these, like these massive brands. And then you went out and started up on your own. Talk to, talk to me about the transition that was involved there. So I, um, I was, it was really interesting because the cohort of people I ended up falling in with in London were, tended to be in the more professional, in the commercial. They were either lawyers, they were working in finance, they might be working in hedge funds, venture. And I was the, like literally the sole creative person within that group. Okay. But they were working, no word of a lie, 6 a.m. in the morning till midnight every day. And I had no one to hang out with in the evening. So I just started to work those hours, yeah. maybe not six o'clock in the morning, but I'd certainly like would not have been unusual in London for me to be at my desk at 7.30 in the morning. And people that I work for noticed that straight away. They were like all the other designers be floating in with their cappuccinos and their croissants at like half nine. Yeah. And I would have been at my desk for two hours by then. And I really applied the same work ethic to interiors that my friends were applying in in other industries yeah and that got me noticed very young actually and I got promoted very quickly do you think that like I think there's you know everyone has to kind of strike a balance between work life and all that kind of thing Uh, looking back do you kind of think you you put too much into it or are you glad you put that effort in I think a lot of people kind of think that if if you do that the boss might think that it's expected if not, you know I, I, mean. I, I think in particular your 20s will set up the rest of your life. That mm. is my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> I think what you do in your 20s, they're your years of true freedom. Mm-hmm. And you can choose, and I did, I travelled, not a huge amount. I did that in my early 20s. But no, once, once I got my foot on the floor in London working, and as I said, surrounded by a very ambitious, amazing group of women, um. I, I just wanted and I could see like I no word of a lie I was probably earning my annual salary was probably a quarter of their annual bonuses oh wow so I was literally living and I was working on a Saturday in, in a furniture store on the King's Road and I can really remember my treat to myself every week was a rise and shine muffin and a Starbucks cappuccino and it was about 5.35 for the two and that was honestly I just could not wait till Saturday morning because that was my treat for the week, you know, whereas I had friends who were being flown to polo matches doing all of this. But I sort of knew like the opportunity was there for me. And as I said, it it really came together because I had that sort of laser focus. And as I said, I feel in your 20s, once you've had your fun, put it aside and Mm. start working. Yeah, because soon enough you'll have other commitments in your life and you may not be able to give as much to your career. And fair enough, if your boss isn't appreciating the hours, find a boss who will. And I was very lucky. I, As I said, I was quite unusual in my industry. I got promoted very quickly. People it's a, in London in particular, it's a very you know tight community. So people start to hear about me. I start to get headhunted. So by the time I went to uh, Candy and Candy, I had three job offers at the age of 28 to choose from. Wow. <clears throat> 28. Yeah, and from three really amazing firms. And I went for Candy and Candy because they were the biggest, the glitziest. They were exploring, exploding at the time and they were doing the One High Park development. And I had actually just finished a super yacht interiors. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Just finished a super yacht. (laughs) And I thought when I was joining them, I was going to be joining their super yacht division. Yeah. Um, And actually, I ended up doing the One High Park penthouses. Amazing. uh, That really set me then. And that's how then Harrods got in touch and I then ended up as head of design in Harrods five and a half years and anyway and so it's all but like you've got to also I would you know once again it's like those 
those critical career moves that you make in your early part of your career, you know, I would always say just work for the best people. Don't waste your time working for people who aren't doing the best work because you're at a stage once again you might not have you know later in life you've more commitments it's not as easy to move around whereas when you're young I would always say you know identify the top people within your industry and work for them yeah you know if you can I think that's another thing that I learned in my career early on you know there's only so much you can learn in the classroom as well um I remember my first full job, my first full time job when I left college, I was told basically to park everything I thought I knew. Mm -hmm. This is how we do it here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. No. I mean, I'm 20 years in. Yeah. And every day there's something new coming up and I've got 20 years of experience. And what that does mean, though, and I like I can see it in my own, you know, some of my own team members now who are just kicking off and starting off their careers. It's really stressful because you don't have that bank of experience behind you to rely on when things go wrong, which they will. And you're right. No one in a classroom. Now, education's incredibly important. Yes. But don't (laughs) overeducate yourself. Get into industry, especially when you are in, you know, I would nearly, you know, my industry is very much it's like an apprenticeship do you know like you need to do your apprenticeship there's only so much you can learn from a book you need to be on site you need to be dealing with builders you need to be dealing with the trades you need to be dealing with your suppliers understanding client uh, you know and, and, and giving clients confidence that can take years and years and years so you know I would say because if you are thinking of getting into interiors you know the best time is now because you're you know you can spend lots of time doing your Pinterest boards doing lovely things at home the reality is you need to be on site yeah um when you decided to branch out and work for yourself Mm -hmm. I mean was that a nervous time for you or did you feel you were ready for it or you know what was it that made you kind of go okay I think it's it's time now for me yeah you know I uh, it was never really going to be any other way mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't if it was when okay. you know I, I come from quite an entrepreneurial background I am within myself you know I you know I love building things both in terms of <laughs> business and Physically. my actual job <laughs> I'm uh, much to my uh, husband Shagrat but um, so I uh, you know I, I felt I was always going to do my own thing and Harrods was incredibly intense so I was there for five and a half years I think I came back from every holiday I was on due to a, something a client needed really um, yeah because you kind of think when you think of interiors you don't think that there would be many emergency scenarios it's literally emergency really? scenario on the daily yeah wow. because there's so many elements and especially at the level that we're working at everything's custom everything's bespoke you're not ordering off the shelf okay. so if that sofa arrives and it's five centimeters too big and it can't get you know up to the seventh floor of a building or the 30th floor of a building you've got to figure that out and Harrods was incredibly high uh, paced it was international um I literally the one day of the year my phone was off was Christmas day because it was the only day the store was closed and um that the expectation of working there was you were Herodian So you had very little bandwidth for personal anything. And um, I I absolutely adored my time there. And I always joke with Harrods, you're either there for five years or 35 years. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I had people that were working for me that had been in Harrods longer than I was alive. Wow. So it was very, um, very, very intense. So at five and a half years, I knew I'd had, I wasn't going to be there for 35 years. I needed to do my own thing. Left, I set up the studio, Sarah Cosmic Studio, but within about, 
I'd say less than three weeks, I got a call from a US private equity company, a headhunter who was recruiting and they had just bought 64 hotels in the UK and they had hired all these designers, but they'd known to manage them. So top brand shelf designers. So I ended up then going into this new hotel brand startup and actually working on the hotel brand, working on yeah. um, uh, on that for three years and um, it was eventually sold for over a billion to wow. Convivio and um, it's now the Kimpton Group in the UK so sorry I, that's probably a lot of information a very quick period of time but <laughs> no, um, that's like cheaper yeah, that must so, be some project to, yeah to exactly so that start. was when I first started out wow. on my own I kind of just and, I, and initially it was like oh we just need some help a couple of days a week and once again seven days a week four different cities I was on four flights a week I was in London uh, Manchester York and Edinburgh every single week um for three years Sarah, so that is so intense what, and you yeah. still loved it Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like and a hospitality design in particular is very addictive. It's very seductive because it's got a huge impact afterwards. You can have a lot of fun with hospitality design because people don't want to go to a hotel and find boring. You know, it's that right. you you can be quite brave. And I was working for an incredible group, the Starwood Capital Group, who were led by a billionaire, uh, Barry Sternlicht, who was obsessed with design. So when you've got a huge fund that is really design driven, they really believe in design, they're going to invest in it, they're going to spend in it, and they see their returns coming from good design. And that's what I would actually, that's what I've applied, you know, and after the business was sold and I I had my children and I was back in Ireland, you know, Ireland had really moved on. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like, we can see ourselves how much the city has changed in the last 10 years physically. And, you know, a lot of design there's the most incredible pool of talent in Ireland you know both architectural and in interiors now that I just don't think would have happened a decade ago so it's it's so now it's a really exciting vibrant time and a lot of my London experience has become incredibly relevant at home you know I think I I was reading an interview with you from a few Mm. years ago and you were talking about the difference between Irish homes and international homes and I suppose that's what I wanted to kind of clarify with you next like working on a personal project versus a big hospitality project tell me about the kind of clients who pull you in to do a house up um, or to to do up their summer home or something like that I mean are these big spenders like you know what kind of what kind of people do you work with and what kind of projects you know would you be kind of getting your teeth into I suppose so we do do some private residential yeah um you know we we don't do a huge amount of private residential um you know we would have maybe um you know in terms of the business maybe 30 percent or maybe 30 to 40 percent of the business would be private residential we tend to work with people who understand like we always, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, we end up saving people money. Really? Yes. Okay. Because if you are going to spend that amount of money on a build, on a property, mm. and you get it wrong, it's not like you buy the wrong top in the wrong size and you can just put it back oh. in your wardrobe and think, oh God, or or, or resell it online, you know, go yeah. on to vintage or uh, vestiaire and resell. You know, the reality is if you buy the wrong size sofa, that is a big mistake that you're going to be looking at or dealing with for a very long time and it's an expensive mistake. So what we tend to find is people who, who come to us have maybe done a, a house 
or two before who know Mm -hmm. how many decisions (laughs) need to be made or this is going to be a big investment. I think the difference between probably London and and, uh, Dublin is London is a very transient city. A lot of the interiors we would do, we'd nearly get a call in five years time to say, oh, that apartment's been sold. We've bought a new house, you know. People don't tend to stay in properties as long. Whereas what we find with Irish clients is it's often the house for life. So they want to get it right. And if they've ever done another project, they really appreciate what we bring to the table. And, you know, we only do very specific types of projects. We only do full refurbishments or brand new builds. We don't do a room here or a room there. We're not set up for that. We're quite a tight team. Um, you know, there's far better designers out there to do individual. What we like to do is work as part of an overall design team, mm-hmm. be a really key player in it, work alongside an architect, work alongside the QS and the PM and, you know, do you know, bigger scale work uh, for fewer people, you know. I think we were talking about this earlier Mm. on about the likes of budget and stuff like that when it comes to renovating a house um, and and or or a Mm. a business or whatever. But I mean, you see some absolutely crazy add ons and additions and stuff like that. Have you ever experienced like how do you break that news to somebody? Sorry, there's going to be an extra 40,000 euro on top of the budget that you've already overextended. We tend to be, we're able to contain our costs more, I would say, on the interior mm. side. Um, you know, we would always really, before we start working on things, try and identify a budget. And then it's us to work with the client and let them push it out. Um, I think on the bill side, as everyone's seen, the inflation has been exponential in the last four yeah. years. You know, Linesight, uh, you know, just released that report and you're looking at 38% inflation um, on building work since uh, 2019. And that is petrifying. Um, we're not as, you know, we, we we have had inflation, but it hasn't been anywhere near in terms of the bill cost. So we're probably less, we less have to deliver that news, if mm, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I, I have absolutely been on site where you have seen just costs skyrocket. But then I would also say, and my advice to anyone on any level who is embarking on any sort of refurbishment or build works is, do the design work up front. The more the design is resolved before that builder starts on site, Mm. the better chance you have of controlling your costs. Design and build. So designing as you're building is always going to add some serious additional costs. So if you can lock in, you know, get rid of as many PC sums as possible before the day you start on site, because everyone wants to get knocking. Everyone wants to get going. Mm. That is the worst thing you can do. Take your time. Do your design. Get it all like have everything selected, you know, be be diligent because, you know, the problem is once those walls are down and you're, you know, and someone says, oh, well, we need to add that in. Are you to say no? Because actually you, you need to get really, back in. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you can't. You're in a bind. I know. Yeah. So it's to try. And it's not always possible because, you know, you're just inevitably going to hit things on site that you could never have foreseen. That's the beauty of, of design and build. But it's but it is the more prepared you are, you know, um, so I always say the best surprise is no surprise, you know, but but that does come down to being super organized. Um, you have a few businesses now under your belt yeah. in, in different guises and mm. you work with, uh, as you said, your your team, your very mm-hmm. diligent, close workers Amazing. and stuff. Yeah, team. I mean, to be an employer and and to have the responsibility of these other salaries and livelihoods and stuff, it must be quite a pressure. 
it's it's not for the faint of heart. And especially when you're a small business, mm-hmm. as we know, the costs are huge between insurance rates, um, you know, licenses when you're in design. You know, there's there's huge cost that goes into running a business. But I was very lucky Um at Harrods, I built a design team. Now I had the whole backing of Harrods, so I had legal teams and yes. HR teams and everything. You had a sponge that I if had this, happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I had forty-five people working for me by the time I left, and I had you know a multi-million turnover business. So I'd already done it with somebody else's money. Okay. And then when I went to Starwood and and the principal hotel group got set up, I actually set up another interior design team within the hotel group that then got taken over by IHG. Um, you know, so I had built two design teams before I did my own. And, um, you know, and I also, you know, had worked in, in, in lots of very different environments. And I, I sort of had a sense of how I wanted to own and operate a business. Mm. But don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you look at interior design and it's very glossy. And, you know, even to look at my Instagram, you know, there's an element of glamour to it. But the reality is you need to manage your cash flow as in any business. Mm-hmm. And that can be scary at times, you know, and there was definitely times in the early days I would not have paid myself. at wow. all. Yo, totally. And to, in order that my staff, I would, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I have vision and I knew where I was going and I knew, you know, business is not for the faint of heart but if you can get through that first five years and you can establish your you know yourself and then I obviously set up another company while I was doing my first company because <laughs> you're glutton for punishment I cannot <laughs> yeah but but you know yourself so so cash flow is definitely so you do have a huge responsibility but I wasn't I didn't fall into this I knew what I was doing and I had I'd gotten the experience under my belt I'd managed big teams mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew what I wanted to do I suppose you know, obviously with, with that responsibility mm. and things like that, it's so important to work with a team that you can trust, that you get along with. What do you look for in team members to come work with you? Uh, you know, I, I have a rule. It's it's a no-moan zone. Oh, okay. I like that. No-moan yeah. zone. Because <laughs> I... I re- Using that at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a no-moan zone. I actually always remember Sarah Andrews, who's now the director of retail at Harrods. Amazing, amazing female mentor through my career um but she literally had her a sign on her desk in her office this is a no moan zone and I just feel like within a team if you have any sort of overly negative characters within a team before long it's pervasive it Mm. just starts to drag people down so actually having a positive and it's not to say you can't identify when things are going are tough. And we have, because the nature of our business, there's very intense periods of work where we've got a massive deadline and uh, development needs to get launched. Client needs to get in. They've moved out of their rental. You know, yeah. there's all these different like high pressure zones. So if you have negative, you know, minded people within the organization during tough periods of time, it can really add extra stress. So I think positivity, upbeat, that's not like it's not about having jazz hands, (laughs) but it's about, you know, just being positive thinking and moving forward rather than having a oh we can't do this oh we can't do that oh the client doesn't want you know, I just can't be dealing with it. The other thing is you're looking for people who understand that you have to work hard to get places because I think there's a huge perception. Oh, why am I designing the 5,000 square foot house? I've been here for three months. Oh, and that's it's the whole like, thing. I've been, I've been here, here 20 years and I've I'm only, here. you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think, so I think you want people that understand that over time, 
you know, there's a lot of probably a trust in me because I know when people are ready and sometimes people come in and say, no, I want this. And I'm like, believe me, when you're ready, you'll have it. And lo and behold, three or four months later, they're doing what they wanted to do. But I think it's I think it's definitely an attitude higher. And then obviously, as we move in increasingly um, into this technological world and both the benefits and and the fears around AI. So we, we do a lot of research in that and bringing AI into the business and looking at how that can make our presentations and our information communication much stronger to our um, to our clients. It's funny that you're bringing up AI. Um, mm. My when I started college when mm. I was 18, my mom decided uh, that she wanted to go back to education herself and she she's very Amazing. she's got a really good eye yeah. so she went and she did an interior design course in Dundrum yeah. and it was a three year course same as my course and she absolutely whipped my ass when it came to exam results <laughs> she got you know higher Typical everything mom. and she was just like there you go but she, you know, it was funny, we were only talking about it last week and she was talking about, she was going through some of her old projects that she'd worked on. Mm-hmm. And this, like, okay, it, it, it's a while ago now, but the, the industry's moved on so much. I mean, you must be learning. All, like, she was showing me stuff, AutoCAD and stuff like that. I mean, mm. do you still use stuff like that? No, we absolutely do. But now there's amazing, like, plugins and things that yeah. actually can take your AutoCAD and elevate it and make it 3D. So, like, one of my amazing guys that works for me, Felipe, like he would have taken five days to do a CGI render. Now we can do them in about a day, day and a half. Wow. And that's within two years. So this is where it's going. Um, The other thing, no, when I started out, we used to fax orders. Yes, I don't, (laughs) you probably don't know what a fax is. Um, You know, we had a server in our office that would constantly crash and you could have been working overnight on on a budget and it would crash and there was no cloud, there was no backup and you would have to start again. I I actually do remember crying over a crashed Excel document and no and everything was cut and paste and if I'm honest it kept the interior world kind of smoke and mirrors and the glamour of it because you would just see beautiful pictures in a book at the end um you know whereas now you see the person in the antique store buying the elephant you see them shipping it you see that you know what I mean it's in their office then you see it in an interior you know so we're getting you know that behind the scenes and you know that 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 a lot of sometimes I wish we were back there because to be honest I I do find the additional sort of mental load of I I think the expectations with social like I'm not sure how positive it is I mean yeah maybe we're getting exposed to a lot more but I often feel it's like I'm really established I've won loads of awards we do amazing work we've got incredible clients and I still feel like I'm not doing enough yeah how how does that work yeah for someone if say Sarah 24 yeah how you know the pressure to be fully formed or maybe that's just me but um no I get it interesting I I get it completely and I think Mm. it's a pressure that funnily enough it's probably in every industry well it it is in 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 most industries I'd say but funnily enough I think um even the likes of as we were talking about Dermot Bannon Mm. um earlier on outside and we were talking about Mm. you know the, the, the program that he does we will um but I think he admitted in an interview recently that he does feel a slight bit of responsibility for the expectations that are now in everyday life because people are watching his show and they're watching the behind the scenes. They're expecting that that's what they're going to get when they start these projects. Do you find that? Totally. Well, I adore Dermot. He yeah. is so much fun. But we, I mean, I laugh. Like, I obviously do Home of the Year. And, you know, he has become 
a term in Irish architecture. You know, it's a term <laughs> upon an extension, even if Dermot has had nothing to do with it. So he really has. Um, but I think what Dermot did, like, how many other architects, Hugh and obviously Amanda, of course, of course <laughs> my fab co-judges, but um, <clears throat> like really Dermot is is the voice of architecture in Ireland at the moment to the majority of the population, you know? I think, uh, so Home of the Year. Mm-hmm. Home of the Year. back on our screen. Hot-y. I tell you. Yeah. I mean, did you ever see that uh, interior design was going to turn you into a celebrity? I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> I know, hang on. I am, I, <laughs> I feel... loosest possible thread of celebrity listen every Sunday night when that show is on you are in my sitting room and I am arguing with you on the television or I'm agreeing with you profusely I mean did you ever see that this is where the business was going the industry was going yeah, do you know what when I started out in interiors as I said to you it was 20 years ago yeah. I was niche mm-hmm. and as people have you know I just think social media put the rocket behind interiors and architecture because suddenly it's in our lives every time we go for coffee you're scrolling through you're being fed ads or you're following people tastemakers and even if they are fashion people they're sitting in a room you know and Mm -hmm. you're looking past maybe the lovely pajamas and you're like oh my god that headboard I love it but um no so I knew the industry was going to explode however did I see myself on television no but that was one of the weird COVID was a horrible time oh God. for business oh, don't mention and <laughs> it was really it's, bad yeah horrific. and we only I would say like January 23 we were only starting to actually get back yeah. on our feet because we had a lot of legacy projects that you had to finish but weren't necessarily paying you anymore and then you need to take on the new projects so we were doing double work you know trying to recover from COVID but we got through it and it's all great now but I started like a lot of people to do Insta Lives and um, when the judge role came up, a producer happened to see the Insta, see the Insta lives. Yeah. And we got a call. I got a call and I literally went in and I want to say two weeks later I was on the road. Wow. So Orti approved. Oh, my goodness. Like, and actually, luckily, it sort of happened. Like I did my first series during COVID time. So we were two meters distance. Everyone was masked except when we were on camera. Weird now when I look back at it. But I also had a bit more bandwidth because I wasn't traveling to London. There was still quite a lot of travel restrictions, so I felt I could do the show. Um, whereas perhaps had COVID not happened, I, I just don't think I could have, I, I don't think it would have happened. Yeah. I, you know, your workload sounds, without the show, sounds absolutely immense and intense. And as a mum of two, yeah. how do you balance it all? Like with, with the show as well, on top of, on top I of your I don't businesses. eat lunch. <laughs> Like, you must have a tribe around you. I mean, you know. No, I absolutely. um, No, and it was one of the things that I, because I actually commuted to London for six years. So I met my husband in London. He was based in Ireland and we we commuted back and forth. Um, So my commute was six hours. That's that's what I would describe it as. And um, so when I made the commitment to come back to Ireland more full time, my thing was my office has to be within five minute walk of my house okay so that was my first commitment that I I I had commuted for so long for so many years that I was going to try and edit out my commute so it meant that when I was in the office I was in the office and when I was at home I was at home and I was trying to get as much time so so I work from 8 till 5 or 8 30 till 5 30 most days I, I really don't or I rarely take lunch um and that's <laughs> that wasn't a joke <laughs> no it wasn't a joke but that's how I get the work done yeah and you know I really try 
and and keep it to that. And when I leave the office, I very much I I leave the office yeah. and I don't I really it's one of the disciplines I've had to learn is, you know, you've got to try and it's really hard, but you've got to try and be present when you can be so once I'm with the children I'm with the children yeah you know? I think that's I think that's one mm-hmm. of the things that a lot of women and men I suppose as well kind of struggle with when, especially when their kids are at a certain age it's the guilt of oh, you know I mean if oh god if they're sick or if they're having a bad day in school I like you know it's just and, and then you have deadlines that you have to meet no deadlines and I travel and that is you know that that has complications with it it's it's really not straightforward but my mum was an amazing she was a, a doctor and worked really hard and was on you know before there was I don't think actually maternity leave existed when my mum was pregnant with us and was expected to go back into the hospital after 10 weeks and had locums and was working weekends and everything so mm. I I did have a, a you know I saw I, I came from a working mother a very hard working mother and I think think that has gave me a bit of a blueprint of, of how to do it but there's always going to be compromises and I feel like we're in a society where we never feel we're doing enough no matter mm. what we're doing yeah. so I know if I was at home all the time I'd be thinking oh but I could be running a business or what's going to happen to me once the kids go into secondary school and I don't yeah. have a career you know like I, I just don't think anyone gets it 100% perfect and I think you can't hold your, you know you can only do your best and you have to be your biggest advocate because there's a lot of noise out there and you have to have a very strong sense of yourself and 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 and, and actually just on being kind to yourself mm. you know and I have an amazing husband who to be honest does a lot of the talking down off the ledge <laughs> you know who we will, all need someone to do that yeah <laughs> but he has a very strong working mom his mom worked really hard yeah like she's an inspiration his mother so I also married someone who really has seen strong working women so so I'm not saying you know that everyone is different but that is definitely I've benefited as a result of that I suppose that brings us nicely to my last question and (laughs) that is like job satisfaction you know where like where would you put yourself on a a scale of one to ten oh twelve twelve I can't wait to get back from holidays really I love I love I love my job I love my work every single day and even when it's horrendous and things are going horribly wrong I still love my job I, I really adore what I do. There's no point passion. asking you if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? This is what you were born to do. Oh, I'll be doing this till I'm, you know, I'll probably get out of my office on a Friday and I'll be in my coffin on a Sunday. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, no, it's, you know, maybe not at this intensity. And I, I've lots of plans, you know, and I definitely know my business will continue to evolve. Um, but that's what makes it exciting for me. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on Inspire. I loved that chat. No, and thank you so much for having me. It's been a lovely, a lovely chat indeed. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us on this episode of Evoke Inspire, her business empowering women in diverse professions podcast, sponsored by hermoney.ie. Be sure to subscribe for more inspiring stories and expert insights on thriving in various industries. Remember, financial empowerment begins with knowledge. Hermoney.ie helps you take control of your financial future. So why not visit Hermoney.ie for more information? Until next time, stay empowered and inspired.